Hello, and welcome to the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTIC Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton here today with Larry Loftus. Larry is the New York Times and international best-selling author of several nonfiction thrillers to include The Princess Spy and Into the Lion's Mouth. Larry, welcome to the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. Thank you, Fred. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Larry, your attention to detail with your books is simply amazing. And I know from just putting together my own books, the time and effort that goes into this. When you were putting together Into the Lion's Mouth, how long did that take? Well, the re- it's two segments. There's the research and then the writing. Uh, the whole picture took three years. The research was about half, so about 18 months of research and then 18 months of writing. But probably as I was writing, I would have to go back and research some more details. So it might even, it, it's probably closer to two years research, one year writing. Why this story? Well, it was, uh, you know, the subtitle of the book is The True Story of Dusko Popov, World War II Spy Patriot and the Real Life Inspiration for James Bond. Uh, I I had to write the book. Let me backtrack. Back in, I don't know, 2012 or something, I started thinking about writing a book like this. And I thought, well, who? I want to write a spy spy novel or, or a spy it didn't matter to me, fiction, nonfiction. So I started researching and, and originally I was thinking, well, I could do like an Ian Fleming type book. So I started researching and I thought I better check out what real spies do before I write a, you know, a book like this. So I just started <laughs> researching greatest spy ever, most accomplished spy, most daring spy. And I just searched everywhere and all roads led to this guy named Dusko Popov, who I'd never heard of. Um, and the reason for that is because everything's classified uh, under the Official Secrets Act. He was an MI5 and MI6 spy uh, that that uh, came to the Allies. He was Serbian. He came to us, uh, to the British, to offer his services because the, the Germans thought he was one of theirs. He had gone to... to uh, He'd gone to, uh, I think he got his doctorate in law from the uh, University of Freiburg in, uh, in Germany. So they thought he was one of theirs, and he comes and he offers his services to the Allies before Serbia's even in the war. Uh, but anyway, the more I read about it, and he, he was the inspiration for, for Fleming's Bond, uh, James Bond. And, uh, you, you know, you hear about, well, wasn't it a bunch of people? Nope. Uh, Fleming always had to throw a red herring out because if he said anything about Popov, he too was under, he was... Uh, Admiral got John Godfrey's, who was director of naval intelligence for the British. He was his uh, number one guy, and uh, basically his alter ego. And and so Fleming uh, knew all about Popoff, got all the reports. Uh, Godfrey sat on the two committees that supervised Popoff, so Fleming knew all about him, and then met him in Portugal 
which is if you've seen the movie or read the book Casino Royale, all that's based on Casino Historical, where, by the way, I did a huge interview for them for their TV. And we went to the actual casino in um, Astoria, which is just outside of Lisbon, and recreated the whole thing. But Fleming watched that what you see in the movie with Casino Royale was lifted directly from what happened in real life. So back to answering your question, why did I pick this guy? Because he was the most amazing spy I, I, I could ever have imagined. He was, in fact, the inspiration for Bond. And what is also little known is that he warned the FBI in, on August 18, 1941, that the Japanese were planning to attack Pearl Harbor and had evidence, gave him his questionnaire, and they ignored it. Hoover ignored it. Hoover buried it. He didn't like spies. He didn't like, he was xenophobic. He didn't like foreigners, and he hated playboys. So he completely ignored it. And then after they attacked, of course, he buried it. He buried it so that no one ever saw the, the questionnaire uh, eight investigations of Pearl Harbor. No one ever saw it. No one ever heard his name. And he can't say anything. He's under the Official Secrets Act in Britain, so he can't say a word anyway. So all those reasons add up to why I felt like I, I've got to write this book and tell this guy's story. It's it's more amazing than a than a thriller fiction novel. Oh, that's for sure. I know from uh, reading into the lion's mouth, uh, it's probably one of the best researched uh, stories uh, that I've ever read about a real-life spy. And my goodness, uh, there has been no one bigger than the James Bond kind of uh, aura around this space and just in general from thriller writing and so forth. And that Fleming backstory that you shared with us uh, is simply amazing. Now, in the course of your research of Dusko Popoff, again, the inspiration for James Bond. Did you ever come across any relatives of him? Uh, ironically, I did. I mean, typically, and this is hard for, for what I do because I only write World War, you know, books about World War II people, and everybody's dead. Right, but sure. Popoff, Pop, Popoff um, had uh, a son, uh, actually three sons, but one that I, that I found uh, li who still lives in, in – um, uh, I guess he's still in Serbia, but uh, Marco Popov was his youngest son, if I recall correctly. And uh, I found him. So in, in 2014, you know, the book comes out and the hardback came out in 2016. So in 2014, I, I found him. And so we were engaging back and forth on emails for about a year. And uh, so he gave some, if you remember the story in the book, there's a question of whether Popoff killed the German who killed his, his German um, case offer, uh, Johann Jebsen, who was in fact really loyal to the allies. Um, and he was murdered and Popoff knew that and Popoff tracked down this guy. He thought, and he wrote it, his own autobiography, which all of it had to be basically written with aliases because he's again still under the official secrets act but jepson was in fact murdered um and he wanted to kill the guy that killed his best friend and because they were buddies in college they were buddies they both that's how he met him at freiburg university of freiburg when they were in college so uh in the book, he says that he finds this guy, he calls him Walter Salzer. That's not his real name, which I found out. I, I went through the entire Nuremberg trials. There's like 50, 58 volumes of this 
uh, of the Nuremberg trials. And I had to go through all that to find out, does this guy really exist as Walter Salzer guy? Well, he doesn't. That was an alias. But I found out who it was. And then um, and then I asked, I asked Marco, I said, Marco, did your dad ever talk about because I, I don't think uh, knowing Dusko, I don't think he would have let this guy go. I mean, he takes him to the woods and then he says he pulls a gun on him, but couldn't pull the trigger and just beats the hell out of him, basically. Uh, and I said, Marco, did your dad uh, really let that guy go or did he shoot him? You know, did he kill him? And Marco, you know, pauses for a minute. And then he says, I think we were on the phone maybe for this one. Then he pauses for a minute and he says, well, you know, he's under the official secrets act. So he's not supposed to say anything, but we're family still. So he said, uh, over dinner one night, I asked him if, if he killed this guy. And he said, my dad just kind of looked at me, winked and looked away. <laughs> and that was it. So Marco said that told me that the dad killed him. That's uh, that's an, that's an amazing story. That was one of the things I had to track down. I had to chase down was who was this guy and did Dusko actually kill him? We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about Antec's Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. This is why we created the Antec Center for Protective Intelligence. We're regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. One of the things that I was struck in, in reading your book, too, was, again, these parallels, and it all makes sense now because of the Official Secrets Act, right? Uh, your comment in the story about uh, C uh, and how uh, Ian Fleming told his official biographer that uh, this British individual by the name of Menzies was actually the real James, James Bond's M. And what's the backstory with that as well? Well, for people that are, that are unfamiliar with C, C is the initial that is used to represent the head of MI6 um, out in the UK, their secret service. And the reason that it's called, that that, per, that title is called C is because the original person, Cunningham, would just use his, uh, Admiral Cunningham just used his initial C to sign documents. Well, the next guy that follows just continued it with C, and then the next guy, so eventually Stuart Menzies, who I think was the third, uh, just continued it. And 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 I saw, I mean, because I got the actual files. I have their archives. And sure enough, I can see, the and, the and he always signed it in a green pencil. So the C is in green. So I saw the actual you know, green C on Menzies' uh, documents that, that he's, Amazing. you know, in, internal documents. But the, but the reason that Fleming said that Menzies was sort of the, basically the M, the Fleming basically combined two people. He didn't work under Menzies, had no connection to Menzies, obviously knew who he was, his boss, Admiral John Godfrey, was an amazing, intelligent man. And Menzies and Godfrey 
Fleming's boss, were the only two people that sat on. There were two committees that that supervised these double agents. Uh, the Double Cross Committee run by a guy named Master, um, Masterman. And then there was a committee above that, that that supervised the bigger picture. Well, Menzies and Godfrey were the only two people that sat on both committees. And of course, as Godfrey's number two, Menzies, uh, Fleming is going to have to file reports to brief him, get him ready for meetings and so forth. So what essentially happened is Fleming took attributes of both men to create his M. M is, in fact, just he couldn't use C because, again, he's in violation of the Secrets Act. So he changed C to M. But in terms of the characteristics and how the guy acted and, and all of that, he basically combined those two guys, Godfrey and Menzies. That's uh, amazing research on your part. Now, Larry, when you were looking into this, did you ever come across any numerical uh, code names like 007? No, they really didn't use those. They they used um, just just uh, alias code names like Popoff, who originally out of the gate they had uh, given him the code name Scoot, but then when they gave him two double a- two agents uh, underneath him, uh, then so that there would be three in his circuit, they changed his name to Tricycle because now he had a unit of three. Uh, so that's what they mainly went by. Although I shared on social media, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago, in the files in um, on my last book, The Prince of Spy, they had they they had specific numbers associated with them and used to them, uh, in in particular, like in in uh, reports and documents and things. So I I posted on social media because I thought people would find it interesting. I there was one memo. Remember, I was. This is all research for Aileen uh, Griffith, who was the OSS uh, agent and uh, who was operating in Madrid. But they would use numbers, and and there's a memo that says two, you know, six four nine, and then she writes or the person writes out the report signed uh, five six seven, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so with no names at all, no names on the top, no names on the bottom. So they, they, the Americans certainly use those, but the British, uh, I, I Popoff never got a number and, and I don't think Garbo ever got a number. And so they all just went by their, their code names. Now, in the course of your research, uh, did you delve deeply into Fleming and is, does Fleming talk about Popoff ever in reality? Uh, of course I did because that's critical to my research. So I had to read, there's, there's only, uh, Pearson's a guy's name, one very good biography of Fleming, but little do people know, number one, I had, I always get, whenever I'm using someone that, that was a agent for the, for the British, I have to get the, the, uh, archives, which are at Q, uh, the national archives at Q have all of the World War II archives, particularly MI5's archives, and so I pulled all of the MI5 uh, archives and the ones that MI6 had that were relevant. Uh, and there, there wasn't anything on Fleming. And I knew that he had been involved. So I just kept digging and found out, well, that's because there's a whole nother file just for Ian Fleming, a whole nother file set for Fleming that is kept in a safe. Huh. So 
if you want those and you don't even know what's in them because they're very private, they're very secret, and they're kept in a safe separate from all the other all the other archives. So I wrote all the correspondence and you have to buy them, of course. So I bought all of the the Fleming files and they're, they, it's ironic. They're, so they, they copy them for you and they mail them to you because they're not digitized. But they come in these sheets that are, that are like the size of a pillow. You know, these huge <laughs> sheets. I don't know why they're like that. But so that, uh, if you remember, I think I posted somewhere, that the New York Post noted that I tracked down the specific moment that they met. Um, and, and part of that reason that I could do that was because in Fleming's file, he is writing reports. You know, he's in Lisbon. At the same time Popoff's there, he's writing reports to his boss, John Godfrey. And so I went through all of those memos to basically track where he was, what he was writing about, what he was doing, um, when he left, because Popoff and Fleming both actually, you know, went back to London. So I had to track when they arrived in Lisbon, when they left, what they did in between. And so that was uh, that was how I I basically figured out, OK, this is the day that they met. This is where they met. This is what happened. Um, Popoff wrote about their their uh, meeting at the uh, Fleming was shadowing him because while Fleming knows who Popoff is, Popoff doesn't know who Fleming is. And the first question you have to ask is, well, why was Fleming following him? secretly. And, and that was because Popoff had swindled 800,000, well, 50,000 back then, which, which was worth about 800,000 today. He had swindled it from the Germans and this masterful scam, this masterful money laundering scam that Popoff came up with to fleece the Germans. And technically that was that, that, that money belonged to MI6. And so Godfrey, I think, sent Fleming to watch the money. And sure enough, when they're at the casino, uh, Fleming is watching. If you remember the, the scene in the movie, you have James Bond at the table and then you have uh, this this uh, evil person, you know, who's on the other side that he's competing against. Yeah, that shady guy. Yeah. Then you have Mathis watching, you know, Mathis. This is right. Basically right. His, so in real life, what really happened in uh, basically on August 1, 1941. Popoff is is Bond. There was a, a a really jerk Lithuanian who was fleeing the um, the Germans named Block, uh, who was the quote unquote evil person. Uh, and Mathis was Fleming. Fleming was the one that was actually watching. <laughs> uh, so he just lifted what happened directly to make this. He changed it a little bit. I mean, he 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 changes Block from fleeing the Germans to fleeing the Russians because now we're in the cold war. So he's, he just changes who the, who, who the, uh, country of origin is for him, but all that was lifted. And, um, so, but Fleming of course can't, he can never say anything. And, and so back to your original question, did Fleming ever mention pop off? The answer is no, he can't because the official secrets act was very carefully, uh, enforced by the British and if you violated the act, and one guy did, uh, I think it was Somerset Mom, but uh, if you violated the act, first they would fine you significantly. And then if you had written something in a book, they would confiscate all of the books and then they would send you to prison. Hmm. 
So Fleming wasn't about to trigger that. So he always had to sidestep who Bond was. And of course he dies early. He dies when he was what, 53 or something. Yeah. He, he died died early. Yeah. long, long before this stuff is declassified. Um, and so Popoff's book doesn't even hit until 1974. Uh, and he's, he was very humble. He didn't brag about, he, he knew that he was the inspiration, but he didn't brag about it. But, um, he detailed some of the things of what happened in Fleming, where Fleming had actually followed him from the Palacio bar, which was this very cool bar. I filmed actually, if you go on my website, LarryLoftus.com, you can see me interviewed by the Portuguese. They, they, we do it in English, but, uh, they interviewed me from the place where these guys actually would have met because Fleming followed him from the bar to a place where another place pop off went for drinks and then to the uh, casino. Uh, so basically I had to put all this together with what Fleming was doing on his side, what I find in the archives to uh, pop off's version of it and then figure out what, what actually happened. Larry, what question would you ask Dusko pop off the real life inspiration for James Bond if he was alive? Oh boy, there there there's a lot of questions that I would ask him. The first I would ask is to answer, you know, to res finally resolve what you know his son asked him. Did you really kill that guy? You know, <laughs> uh, because it's still a little bit of a mystery. Um, and Popoff had to do it very secretly. I mean, I think he did, but he had to do it very secretly because this is like, you know, the the war ends, uh, you know, in in May, uh, and so May seven, and so it's just maybe a, a, a few days, a week after that, he's in Germany, uh, looking for this guy, and he knew he could probably kill him and get away with it because this is right after the war and scores were being settled. And he thought he could he could uh, he could kill him and get away with it. He he got the British to loan him a colonel's uniform, so he that gave him access to, to a few things. And then I won't spoil what happens, but in the book I, I give the details of of what happened with that. But uh, I, I I I'm his son thought he killed him, and I think he killed him. But it would be it would be cool to hear it from the horse's mouth. Well, Larry, I. We want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on the OnTick Protective Intelligence Podcast today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Into the Lion's Mouth by Larry Loftus. Trust me, you won't want to put this book down. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smokin' Nobles. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. I'm Fred Burke. Thanks for listening.